Well, good morning. I want to start a little differently this morning. Can I ask you a really honest question? And you be really honest with yourself and with the Lord. You don't have to answer me. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to speak anything out loud. How are you doing? Like, really? How are you doing? (laughs) How's your heart? How's your soul? How are the most important pieces of your life? How are they doing? See, I know many of you very well. I know myself very well. And I know that we get weary, don't we? And many of you today have walked in here very weary. You brought in something from your life. Maybe it has to do with your work or your family or your health or your finances. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's easy to be weary. It's easy for our hearts to just be worn out. And we really don't know what to do with it, do we? We just sort of press it down. Okay, just just stay the course. Just get up and go to work. I'm thankful that some of you said, hey, let's just get up and go to church. I'm thankful you said that this morning. Let's just keep moving forward. Let's just press down. And, and, and yes, I'm hurting. And yes, I'm struggling. And yes, I'm tired. I'm weary. But just keep moving. See, the reality is that as human beings, we struggle every single day. With weariness. Every day. Every one of us at night, at some point, get to a place where we just fall out. Right? We are designed with a need for rest. And all rest uh, comes from the Lord. Real rest. And sometimes we even need rest spiritually because of expectations from other people. And some of that we're going to see in our text this morning. But I I wanted us just to be honest before we get going about what it is that you need, because I want you to hear me say this today. God knows you need it. He knows you need those things. And he cares about our needs, and he loves us more than you can imagine. And that's, if there's one thing, I've just come away from this week of study Man, how much Jesus loves us. He loves us so much. He cares for the the difficult things in your life. He wants to meet the needs of your heart and your soul and your weariness and your life. He wants to show you how much he loves you. He wants to protect that rest. Good news to have for you this morning is the fact that God never rests. He doesn't need it. We do, don't we? Man, we need it. I look forward to my Sunday afternoon naps. They're special to me. I need them, right? Um, I turned 50 this year. I know it's hard to believe. Uh, but, uh, and long before I turned 50, I was feeling it, you know. Uh, 9.30, 10 o'clock, I start yawning. I'm, start, I'm ready for bed. I'm ready to head that way. Kids are staying up sometimes doing homework, but I'm ready 
to go to bed. God designed our bodies to need rest, but the good news is he doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. Look with me in Psalm 121, verse 3. Speaking of our God, he says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither neither slumber nor sleep. God does not need rest, but you do. I do. And the good news is this morning he's given us a model to follow from creation about what it means to work for six days, to rest for a day. And the beautiful piece, of course, I'm talking about Sabbath. And the beautiful thing about Sabbath is really it's a way of trusting God. Because when we stop, that's what it means to Sabbath, when you just stop. And you rest in him, in this design he's made for his people. And you stop, what you're doing is you're saying, Lord, I trust you with my life. I don't have to work today because you are my provider. I don't have to work crazy today so I can keep up because you're my provider. I'm going to rest in you and you have designed me to rest today. And so I'm going to do that. That's the beautiful piece of what Sabbath is. But today we're going to see there's some people that are trying to steal the Sabbath of the people of God. And there may be some people in your life, (laughs) some things in your life. It may be you that, that don't value this true rest. And I want us to take a look at that. This morning, we're in our series in the Gospel of Mark the last few weeks, and we've, we've talked about these conflicts with the Pharisees. We've talked about three of them, right? The first one being uh, the paralytic let down through the roof, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees go, excuse me? You just said what? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, yeah, so that you know I can forgive sins, get up, take your mat, and go home. And, and the man gets up, healed walks away. This is not a big town, Capernaum. It's a small town. And they would have known this man, how long, and and he's not an actor, right? They would have known this was a miracle, but the Pharisees didn't pay attention to the miracle or the Messiah. Instead, they just, they, they accused him of blasphemy, right? And they start getting angry with him. There's a conflict. Well, next, he, he's walking out by the sea, and he, he calls Levi, or Matthew, to himself, a tax collector. He, he, he starts spending time with sinners. And they're like, why would you do that? Why would you eat with them? And he says, I've come to save sinners, not self-righteous people. And yet, they don't see the miracle of a changed life or the Messiah, do they? They don't see it. The very same night, they come to Jesus and they say, now, the Pharisees are fasting and John's disciples are fasting why aren't your disciples fasting? They're in there partying. They're in there eating and drinking and, and reclining, enjoying themselves. Why not? And what they had done is they had overlaid their own traditions and their own rules on top of God's law. And that's what they were referring to. And of course, Jesus says, we talked about it last week, how can, how can uh, we fast when the bridegroom is here? In other words, you don't see Messiah in front of your face that we should be partying, we should be celebrating that, that God has come in the flesh to save his people, and you don't see it. Today we're going to look at two more conflicts with the Pharisees. Uh, they happen in these two different stories, the fourth and fifth conflict that we see here. They happen at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, and I want us to take a look at that. If you have your Bibles, turn over to our text this morning, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. 
I will say that these, these two stories probably happened either on the same day, the same Sabbath, or a week removed from one another, right? So one, one Sabbath and then a week later. So as we're thinking about that, this happened, at least all the synoptic gospels together agree, they, they speak of this sort of in a chronological closeness. Mark 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 23 says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, uh, what are they doing? Uh, that They're doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for, for man. Not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's keep reading into chapter 3. Again he entered the synagogue, probably a week later. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, speaking of the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him about how to destroy him. Pray with me this morning as we look at this text. Father, thank you for rest. Thank you, Lord, that this is a room full of tired people. <laughs> that every one of us, in one way or another, we're weary because we're human. There may be some issue in different areas of our lives, but, but Lord, we all need shalom. We all need peace. We all need rest. And we will only find it in you, Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us to understand you are the Lord of rest. And you want to offer it to us today. That as we understand the gospel, we can truly find your rest in Jesus alone. God, I pray that you would lead us to all truth. Help us to understand it by your spirit today. That you would increase. That I would decrease in this time. And that you would make us a courageous people, Lord. To stand for you in all that we are and all that we do, to follow you, to love you with our lives, to be different because of your grace and your mercy and the gospel of Jesus that has changed us. And we pray it for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we see a couple of different stories here, right? In one in the end of chapter 2, one in the beginning of chapter 3. Both of these stories happen, and I think what, what the Lord is trying to speak through Mark is something specific. They both happen on, on what? On the Sabbath. They both happen on this holy special day for God's people, the Sabbath. Uh, so both stories have to do with the Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath is, uh, comes from a Hebrew word, Shabbat, and it literally just means rest. Definition of Sabbath, rest. That's it. Uh, we know that it's important, right, because God listed it in, in the uh, Ten Commandments. It's one of the biggies, right? 
In fact, not only is it one of the big ones, it's the fourth one, and it is the largest, longest description of one of the commandments. I want us to look at that this morning. Exodus 20, verse, verse 8. Let's go right to the source, can we? It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, what God is saying about the Sabbath is that he's already set up a pattern. Genesis 2 gives us this same story. It says that God worked for six days and then he rested. But remember, God doesn't need rest, right? Does God need rest? Does he need to take a rest, a sleep? He's, whoo, it's been a hard week. No. So what is God doing in creation? He's creating a pattern for you and me and the people of God because we do. Again, an act of grace, an act of mercy, an act of love to care for our needs. So much of this text this morning is about the Lord caring for our needs. So he's created this pattern for us, and it's one of the big ones, one of the ten big ones. From this point where the Lord gives the ten commandments in Exodus all the way to where our story begins today with Jesus and his disciples walking through the grain is about 15 centuries, okay? It's about 1,500 years. And what happened from the Mosaic law that, that the Lord has given through Moses all the way to where Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain, the scribes, the Pharisees, and other religious leaders have added to God's law this ton of, of traditions and rules of men, not God's rules, man's rules. The Jews have followed this list of rules. Uh, it's called the Talmud. It is the central text for Judaism of tradition. It is hefty, to say the least. Supposedly they're helping Jewish people to not uh, mess up the Sabbath. But really what they're doing is causing a crushing weight. What they're doing is putting an unbelievable burden on God's people. And instead of giving God's people really rest, it's a burden. It's an incredible burden. Jesus sees this burden. He, he created rest and Sabbath to care for people, not to burden them. It had become impossible to live. I, I like the way John Maxwell, I'm going to read a long quote from John Maxwell, but the reason is because he really helps us understand the culture of the Jewish heritage and Jewish religion of these traditions. Okay? It says, anything that might be contrived as work was forbidden. Thus, on a Sabbath, scribes could not carry their pens, tailors their needles, or students their books. To do so might attempt them to work on the Sabbath. For that matter, carrying anything heavier than a dried fig was forbidden. He's being literal here. Right? It would have been forbidden. And if an object in question had been picked up in a public place, public place uh, they could only be set down in a private place. If the object were tossed into the air... Uh, it had to be caught with the same hand because to catch it with the other hand would constitute work and therefore be a violation of the Sabbath. No insects could be killed. 
No candle or flame could be lit or extinguished. Nothing could be bought or sold. No bathing was allowed since water might spill on the floor and accidentally wash it. You see the ridiculousness of this? No furniture could be moved inside the house since it might create ruts in the dirt floor and thereby constitute plowing. An egg could not even be boiled, even if one just placed it in the hot desert sand. A radish could not be left in salt because then it would become a pickle. And pickling constituted work. Sick people were only allowed, listen to this if you had a loved one, think about this. Sick people were only allowed enough treatment just to keep them alive. Any medical treatment that improved their condition was considered work and therefore prohibited. It was not permissible for a woman to look in the mirror since they might be tempted to pull out any gray hairs they spotted. Nor were they allowed to wear jewelry since jewelry, jewelry weighs more than a dried fig. Then he comments here, these man-made traditions perpetuated by the Pharisees and scribes clearly placed a crushing weight on people. This is not God's intent for Sabbath. This is not God's desire for his people. And keeping these man-made rules and, and, and traditions were weighing them down. See, they, they, the Pharisees just wanted people to be obedient, remain obedient and quiet to this works-based false religion. That's what their style of Judaism had become. It's all that was important to them. Not the reason for the Sabbath and not to care for people and for sure not to give God glory or give God's people rest. This morning as we break down our text, I want to I bring to you five things that I'm, I'm seeing about Jesus that we, we need to pay attention to in this text, okay? The first one is this. Jesus corrects. <laughs> he is correcting. The story of Jesus and the disciples, they're walking through a grain field. Now, you, we didn't, they didn't have roads like we have. They had paths, and, and when you had to take a, a certain direction to a certain place, it might just be a little goat path. And these little paths uh, bordered people's land and farmland and crops. And so as they go through the field, you can just see it in your mind. Or maybe the scene from The Chosen. I don't know what you're thinking through in your mind. But as you're going through the field, they're just grabbing these heads of grain. Because they're hungry. They're doing it on a Sabbath. But what the Pharisees see, and remember this list of rules in the Talmud, all this would have been laid out in the Talmud in those 24 chapters in the Talmud of just about the Sabbath. Not verses, chapters. They, they would have considered what those guys did when they grabbed the, the uh, wheat. Reaping, that's working, so they grabbed it. They sifted it when they did their hands like this to get the seed out. When they grabbed a piece of the seed, they, they uh, threshed it. And when they blew the chaff away, that would have been winnowing it. So the Pharisees would have said, no, you just sinned four times on the Sabbath. Crazy. Again, they, they, they could only see their man-made rules. And so here comes Jesus not only to correct bad theology, but also their biblical history. I love this, I love this part. A little sarcasm here from Jesus. Look with me in the text. He says, have you never read what David did? You feel that? Aren't you guys, the, you're scribes, right? You, you know the Bible back and forth, right? You, you know God's law, right? right? You, you feel that sarcasm? It's for a reason. It's for a purpose. Have you never read what David did what he, uh, when he was in need and was hungry and he went with those who were with him? 
how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, Abathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is a bread as an offering. And when the offering was done, the priest would eat it. No one else could eat it. Which it was unlawful, it was not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. See, David was running from Saul in, in uh, 1 Samuel 21. He's running from Saul and he comes into the house of, uh, of God and they're starving. And the priest sees they're starving. Even though it's unlawful for anybody but the priest to eat, what Jesus is saying is God cares more about people than he does about ceremony. He cares more about people than he does about ritual. And so, no, I don't want David and his men to starve. Let's feed. We have bread here. Let's give them this bread. And what's interesting is nowhere in Scripture is that um, prohibited or spoken against. Never does the Bible condemn that action of the priest or of David. Never. God's saying something here in this story. On top of that, What's interesting is Jesus and the disciples were actually keeping God's law, and it was the Pharisees that were failing God's law. Look at Deuteronomy 23, 25. This is in the, this is in the Mosaic law. It says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. See, what is he saying? You can't harvest your neighbor's grain, but if you're walking through, you can grab some if you're hungry. And even part of Sabbath, uh, the Lord says in, in the Old Testament, when you gather your crops, leave some on the edges, on the borders, because there's going to be uh, people who are coming through on these roads, and they're going to need some. See, the beautiful thing about our God is he cares about you and all of your needs and where you are today. He cares. And he's so good that he's given provision for you where you don't even know you need it, friend. In Deuteronomy, God has set out the very thing that Jesus would do. As he's walking through the fields with his friends and they're grabbing wheat, God has already made a provision for that in his word. They're being obedient to the word, not disobedient. The Pharisees just want them to submit to their rules, their tradition. You see that? Jesus quickly here makes them understand, you're not in control here. I am. Look with me. Verse 27. He says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see that? He's correcting them. He corrects them and saying, listen, this day isn't made for you to cripple my people with unrealistic expectations. This is not what this day is for. This day is to bless them. This day is to be holy, to care for them. But instead, look what you've put on them. No, I want to give them rest. And then Jesus kind of gives them his resume, if you will. He, he shows his authority again in Mark. He says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the second thing I want to show you is Jesus crowns himself. He shows again who he is. Now what I love about the book of Mark, especially in these early chapters, if you're paying attention, God is showing us who Jesus is in all these stories in Mark. If you're paying attention and you understand Jesus is God, and remember God said this, even as Jesus is being baptized, this is my what? Son in who I'm well pleased. 
So we see all these, these characteristics, not only of, of Jesus as Son of God, but of God and Jesus as God. Verse 1 says he's Messiah, Christ. In the baptism, we learn he's the Son of God. We learn all these titles. He's the Holy One. Demons cry out, Holy One of Heaven, please don't send us away. We begin to learn all these authoritative pieces and titles of who Jesus is. And we see another one of authority that Jesus communicates to us today. He gives himself. He says, the Son of Man. It's not the first time he said it in Mark. We, he said it in our first city group Sunday, Son of Man. This is Jesus' favorite title for himself. In the Gospels, he says it over and over again, Son of Man. I think it's because he loves people. He wants to be connected and identified with mankind. I've come in the flesh, God incarnate, to be with you because I love you. Do you see that? But it's also a prophetic title from Daniel chapter 7. So if you read Daniel chapter 7, you'll see that Daniel prophesied for the Messiah and he called him the Son of Man. So Jesus here is making it clear again, I am Messiah, but that's not the only title I have. I also have Lord of Rest. I am the Lord of Rest or Lord of the Sabbath. You don't get to control this. Jesus in essence is saying, I am the God of creation, right? John said it, Paul said it in Colossians, he is, Jesus is, is the one who created it all. Jesus is saying, I'm the God of creation who worked and then rested. I'm the God who gave you these commandments. And you don't get to make the rules for Sabbath, I've already made them. Do you think they liked that comment? Can you imagine the, them being taken aback? Again, what did you just say? Jesus is making it clear here who is in control, and it is not the Pharisees, and it's going to get him in trouble. Look what John says about Jesus and what he's doing on the Sabbath. John 5, 16, he says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And we have seen these conflicts with the Pharisees over and over. We saw three, and today four and five. And guess what? They just continue. And they're going to continue and continue until the Pharisees finally get what they want. Here's the next thing I want you to see about Jesus. He's challenging. Jesus challenges them, but not before they challenge him. Chapter 3 says, again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, watch this, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. They were ready to set Jesus up. In fact, many theologians believe the man with the withered hand was put in, in place by the Pharisees just so they could catch Jesus. Oh, we see he loves everybody, right? Oh, he loves to heal people who are broken. Let's put somebody broken right in the second or third row. So it's easy to see. And let's see Jesus do what he does because he loves to heal people. You just feel the evil. And of course, Jesus walks in and just like, he's just drawn to the person in need. Because he loves to meet needs. 
he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And then he said to them, just picture this in your mind. Hey, you come here. The man comes up. And before he heals him, the man's standing there. And Jesus begins to look around the room. And then, even though they tried to set him up, now he's setting them up. He challenges them. And he asks this question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. They couldn't answer, right? They had nothing to say because Jesus in this moment is exposing their wicked hearts. He's showing them for who they really are. That's what he's doing. He's showing not only do they not care about God's law, they, they, they've added all this mess to it as a burden. They don't care about people. They don't care. I love that, you know, we have the, the Gospels to share the same story. And so we can go to the other Gospels and maybe get some more information because they're different writers. Maybe Matthew remembered something in that moment that, that, that Mark wasn't told. Sure enough, Matthew chapter 12, verse 11, Jesus adds to this story. In this story, he says to the Pharisees in this moment, which of you has a sheep? If he falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man, is this man, than a sheep? So is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? He's made it personal. You better believe if little Fluffy, right, their little pet sheep, their little pet whatever, gets into a bad situation, into a bind, they're going to go figure out a way to get him out. They're not going to let him suffer. And yet here's a man been suffering his whole life, and they don't care. Jesus says, you care more about a sheep than you do a man. We see that in our culture too, don't we? We'll save a baby eagle, but not a baby in the, in the womb. We care more about animals than we do people. Pharisees couldn't, couldn't make a decision. They couldn't make a comment either way. Because if they said, yeah, it, I guess it is lawful, they agree with Jesus. And they have to submit to the fact that he's right. If they say it's not lawful, then they go against Moses and the law of Moses. They, they, they remain silent. And Jesus has them trapped, show, showing them for who they are. Watch this, this is powerful. Verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Friends, Jesus is furious. This is the only place in the New Testament where the, the, the Bible tells us specifically Jesus is angry. Like, just imagine the gaze of the Savior. When he looked at those Pharisees, he's brought the man up, he's asked him a question, he set him up, and then he stops to gaze into their eyes. Revelation says in two different places that the eyes of Jesus are like flaming fire. And I don't know if he let them see a little of that or not, but I would not, I don't want to see that gaze. I don't want him looking at me with that anger. And he looks at them with this incredible anger, but that's not the only emotion he has. Look, he says, looks around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Have you ever done that before? You get so mad at somebody, and you're so angry with them, and then you go, I just feel sorry for them. You ever done that? 
We have to tell our girls sometimes. They're friends. They're be, sometimes they're friends at schools, at their schools, that, that they, they hurt them. And they're angry. And we go, honey, hurt people, hurt people. I know you're angry, but hurt people, hurt people. So there's sort of a sadness. See, God wants every person to know him. Peter says he wants that all should come to repentance. That's what the Bible says. So even in his heart, I think Jesus is grieved because he knows the future of these Pharisees. He knows they're going to spend eternity in hell unless they turn away from their self-righteousness, from their false religion, and surrender to who Jesus is. They're going to spend eternity in hell. And he's grieved. And he's grieved for the man. He's angry and yet saddened and grieved. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. Jesus is caring. And I'm so glad that he is. Look what he does. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Jesus heals the man. Right? He heals him. Jesus had seen this man. In fact, before Jesus walked into the synagogue, he knew he was in there. Right? Jesus knew that man was in there. And when he walks in, he's like, zoom, laser beam to this man who has need. He knew he was in there. He knew he wanted to care for him because he cares for people. He also knew he was being set up. He also knew that healing this man would come with great consequences, and it does. But Jesus cares. See, this man's deformity in his hand would have made him probably a beggar. He probably couldn't work with this withered hand. He probably couldn't clean himself or care for himself or his family the way he, he, he needed to. In fact, he probably is not usually in the synagogue. And they place him there just to set Jesus up. And Jesus is so caring and so loving that he's drawn to this man. And he cares for this man and he heals this man. He knew exactly what the Pharisees were going to do. He knew exactly what this was going to mean. And that's why he paused for a moment and looks around the room. With full clarity of thought, full understanding of what the future would hold for him and the consequences of his love for people, and he did it anyway. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you, friend. He knew the consequences. See, what's so tragic to me in this story, what breaks my heart, for these Pharisees and for these people watching is that they, they didn't see the miracle and they didn't see the Messiah. I mean, come on. You know this man. You know that his hand's been messed up. All of a sudden it's not and you just go, wow, you just broke a law. What? Are you kidding? You don't see this miracle? You don't see that we can't do that. Only God can do that. You don't fall on your face before the Savior and say, Forgive me of my sin. I'm, I'm unholy. I come from a people who are unholy. Forgive me of my sin. Like, does that not lead you to repentance? Does that not lead you to obedience? Does it not lead you to go, I don't care what I was saying. I believe. It doesn't. They don't see the miracle and they don't see the Messiah. And some of you today don't see the miracle and you haven't seen the Messiah. You need Jesus. He's our only hope. And he loves you. 
He doesn't want one person to die and go to hell. I believe that with all my heart. He's not willing that one would go to hell. He wants you to come to repentance. But you have to see the miracle of his grace. And you have to see him as Messiah in order to do so. All they could see was someone trying to challenge their control. All they could see was somebody challenging their tradition. And lastly, I'm going to close. Jesus is condemned. The last verse, verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So Jesus has collided with the Pharisees five times now. And already, we're in the beginning of chapter 3. I think of 16 chapters, if I'm right. Beginning of chapter 3, and they already want Jesus dead. Do you see that? <laughs> the big question is, who are the Herodians? What, who are these people? The Herodians are a political group. They're Jewish people. They're most likely wealthy Jews. And they were hated by the Jews. And extremely hated by the Pharisees. They were arch enemies of the Pharisees because they loved a Greco-Roman culture. They loved Roman rule. And they loved the Herods. That's why they're called the Herodians. They were supportive of that whole system. And, and the Pharisees normally would be diametrically opposed. But have you ever heard the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Have you ever heard that phrase? So, if you hate Jesus and I hate Jesus, even though we hate each other, let's go in together and get him. We see the Herodians two more times in the New Testament, and all three of those times, they're connected to the Pharisees in a way to, to get Jesus. That's who they were, and their aim is to destroy him. So what have we learned this morning about the Sabbath? What have we learned about God? What have, what have we learned about how he cares about the need in your life right now. When I ask you very sincerely this morning, I ask you to answer sincerely, how are you doing? What are the needs in your life? Where's the weariness in your soul today? Jesus knows it. He sees it, friend. He loves you so much. And he's made provision for it. Here's what we've learned. He's modeled the Sabbath for us because he loves us. He created it for us. He didn't need to rest, but he knows we do. There's no way to look at this story and not see that he cares, right? Jesus cares. And he cares for you this morning. You know, I was looking at this story and I, I started thinking about all the different aspects of these, really these three kind of stories. The first one Jesus mentions is David and his men. They had a need. Their need was that they were starving and they were fed. They didn't die, they were fed. Jesus and his men, they were hungry and they're going through the field and they were fed, right? And God's provision is that they would be fed. And then the man stands in the synagogue with a withered hand and Jesus does what? He heals him because that was his need and Jesus meets needs. What's your need? What need do you have? Where are you exhausted? Where are you weary? 
know that the Savior wants to meet your need today. He also wants to protect us and protect our rest from those who would steal it. I want you to know, I just want to make something clear here. There's a lot of confusion sometimes in, as believers around Sabbath, around the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is not Sabbath. It's the Lord's Day. And as Christians, we are not given a mandate to follow Sabbath anymore. That was part of the old system. Look at Colossians 2.16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Is it good to Sabbath? You better believe it is. I encourage you to, to pay attention to what God set up and modeled for us. That you do work and that you do rest. That you, you protect that rest. But I want you to see something this morning. Real, true rest doesn't come in a day off. It comes in a Savior. That's it. It comes in Jesus alone. That's where our rest comes from. See, we see in the story Jesus' heart for people. People who are in need, he loves them. It's incredible. You cannot read the Gospels of Jesus and not see that he loves hurting people. And so, you know what's good about that is this morning if you're hurting, he loves you. And at some level, we all are. This morning, maybe you don't feel a part of our family. Maybe you don't feel a part of the, the church at all. And you feel marginalized and left out. You know what? Jesus ran to those people. He loves them. We should run to them as well. In the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus committed a sin worthy of death. And sadly, they go after him until they get him. And they put him to death. But here's, here's the beauty that I want to end with this morning. In dying for us, Jesus provided true Sabbath. In dying for us, Jesus provided real rest. We don't have to strive. We don't have to work. We don't have to, to, to try and be perfect in all the rules and laws of this crushing weight of legalism. No, we just accept the grace of Jesus. And out of that grace and love of Christ, then we serve him with all our hearts. Not because we have to in order to get there but because he's saved us by his grace and we have the privilege to serve. Do you see the difference? Serving from a place, not to a place. His finished work on the cross is our provision to truly rest in him. And I'm going I'm to close this way. I'd like for you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to read these words of Jesus over you from Matthew 11. And I would just ask for you, to, I'm going to read them slowly. And with all that you can, I pray that you would hear his voice and not mine. To whatever need it is that, that you know you have. Whatever brokenness and sadness and weariness is in your soul, I pray that these words would be a salve to you. Because that's the way he meant them for us. And Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to close this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Be honest about where you're weary, would you? Just as we close and I pray for us.
Sometimes it feels like you can't keep up. Sabbath is true rest in Jesus. And so my question is, do you know him? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, would you, would you come up here and talk to me? If you know somebody who's a believer and they can share with you who Jesus is, maybe as we finish the service, ask them, would you help me to understand who Jesus is? Help me to understand what needs to happen in my life. What is repentance? I want to change. I want to be who God wants me to be. I don't want to die and go to hell. I want true rest. And Jesus is the Lord of rest. Come and find the only true rest you can find in Jesus alone. He's the only one who can really give it to you. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you that you love us enough to truly help us to rest. That you, you want us to be recuperated. You want our souls to be at peace. And all that happens when we trust that you have got us. That you will provide for us. That you will take care of our every need. So whatever brokenness and loneliness and sadness and weariness is at, at, at place and at play in our lives in this room today or watching today, God, would you meet a need like only you can? And may we place our faith and our trust and our hope in the God of rest. I just hear the words of Jesus. Come to me if you're weary you're heavy laden. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Rest for your soul. And so, Jesus, here we are. Would you please give it to us? We pray it in Jesus' precious name.